Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast, but uh, I guess you probably already knew that. If you like what we do here on the show, consider supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash donkeys. Just $5 per month gets you every regular episode early, access to our community Discord, a digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, as well as its audiobook, read by me, and over five years of bonus content. By supporting the show, you support us and allow us to keep our show as it has always been ad-free. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as always these days, is Tom in the podcast basement. The cu- I-, I feel the walls of the cube closing in, Joe. That's good. You and me both. Um, <laughs> yes, if, if you're listening to this, I don't know if this is a bonus or a free episode, but you can slowly feel the walls of a seasonal depression closing in on the two of us. Um, the sun is actually out for the first time since I've moved to the Netherlands today. I have spotted a blue sky. Um, mm-hmm. for, I've been here about a week now, uh, which is nice. And uh, if I am remembering correctly, my apartment is about the same size as your recording studio. Um, <laughs> so I definitely feel the walls closing in on me. I mean, like it was unseasonably warm yesterday. It was 24 degrees in October, which is strange. But uh, yeah, like... I don't know. I always, I always feel strange this time of year, and it's not necessarily like seasonal defect, affective disorder because I know that's a, a real thing that like medically people suffer with. But like, I don't know. It's like the change of seasons always like fuck with me because like from like March September, I'm having a great time. You know, it's getting warmer. You know, the summer is great, and I like everyone knows Nate has ADHD, which may- Nate gets to a. Uh, take medication for i can't because i have other medical conditions which prevent me from taking it so i'm like absolutely brute forcing life all the time just raw dogging life oh a hundred percent like i have i have like so many things that's that the I least have to fun do. way you can do that <laughs> like i have so many little things that i have to do to like just keep my life on track like i have a little like pocketbook that i carry with me everywhere that i like if i need to do something i just write down in it and, like, I have, like, all the stuff I need to do for work for the entire week written down, usually on a Monday. As stuff comes up, I add it into it. And it, like, helps keep my life on track. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, this time of year. The way I kind of think about it is, like, you know, for six to seven months of the year, like, everything is running smoothly. It's watching, you know, a beautiful ballet where all the dancers are pirouetting in synchronicity with the rhythms of life. And, like, now it's just, like, what if you rip two Beyblades into a walk? <laughs> No, no, it's it's just like aggressive clanking together, and they'll they they will have some you know circular motion where you, they will you've been orbit each other. With Hussein too much. You've referenced Beyblades. <laughs> hey, I used to watch Beyblade as a kid, <laughs> but like, yeah, no, it it fucking sucks. Honestly, like it is, yeah, like it's kind of trying to hold on to my sanity in these trying times of changing climates. Um. So yeah, th- we are now. This is announcing our pivot to uh, being a branded men's mental health podcast. I mean, I do think that there's something healthy about this because before um, a couple, I don't know how lo- how many episodes this was was ago, someone th- said it was very eye opening hearing two men talk about like 
body dysmorphia effectively oh yeah um which like oh i could, t- I could talk more about oh, that as well if I you got want 35 <laughs> years of time to talk about that um <laughs> and you know y- yeah like some like, I-, I don't know i guess people like see us a certain kind of way and like currently my my life is like i've cartwheeled directly headfirst into a wall so like yeah like it sucks man life sucks sometimes uh and you have to find ways to to try to try to deal with it and one of the ways i make sure i deal with it is by making like the simple things like taking care of myself like i go to the gym i make sure i like i work from home and you know a lot of things that come with depression is like people stop showering people stop taking care of themselves they stop eating and like the there's like I make sure I do that every single day. Um, so if you're listening, wash your ass. Um, it makes you feel better. I mean, t- take take that as a as general advice to wash your ass. We are a pro ass washing podcast. I would highly recommend a bidet if you can fit one. Um, I can't fit one because uh, my toilet is all weird. But uh, yeah, bidets are beneficial. I can say I, yeah, my, my like, apartment currently has what I call the toilet dungeon. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's a Dutch thing. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the of the toilet, uh, like solitary confinement cell. Um, <laughs> I don't fit it. When the door closes, my knees touch the door. Like a- I mean, it's not it's, it's not as bad as the video you sent me one night when you were out in Yerevan with when you were like really drunk and you went into the toilet and just like the bottom of the door had been broken off. <laughs> That's right, baby. Uh, like that is one thing I can say about touring around the Caucasus. You'll see some deeply cursed toilets. Uh, but yeah, like the like. At this time of year, because, like, by the time this comes out, like, you know, if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, it will be, like, dark by, like, five o'clock. And it is tough, because, like, I personally find it, like, hard, you know, get up, it's dark when I go to work, it's dark when I get home, or it's even, dark, like, getting dark when I'm, like, leaving work to go home. And it kind of, like, I don't know, I I do my best to when I get home, particularly at, like, this time of year, not to just, like, sit down and, like, look at my phone for half an hour as soon as I get in. Like, I try, like, last night... That's, like, the worst thing home. you can do from personal experience is, like, fall into a black hole of, like, being, uh, like, your eyes locked to a device. Even though, as I've said before on this show, history continues to happen. Um, like, you, you gotta... You gotta live. You, even, even if you don't particularly want to at any given time, like... <laughs> Yeah, like, my my thing, and I kind of look at it in terms of, like, productivity, and a lot of people think of productivity in terms of, like, work and, like, doing stuff that, like, is good for your job or whatever, but I like to think of it as, like, it's just, like, doing stuff, like, that you just need to do in life. So, like, my thing that I've been trying to do recently is as soon as I get home, I, like, I think it was like, okay, here's like five things that I need to do that I can get done in like 20 minutes. So like last night I had made some like food the other day that I'd made some lovely slow cooked ragu in my new Le Creuset pot and I'd frozen it. So I like took it out of the freezer, like got it to defrost. There were some uh, plates in the sink that I need to clean, clean those, sorted out, you know, laundry that I need to do and put on a wash and then like went into the sitting room and like just like cleared off the coffee table and like I had all that done in like 20 minutes and you know it made me you know made the evening so much better and also on Saturday I 
I made a mental health Gundam. Go on. I was gonna I was gonna try to segue this back into this show, but you've said the words mental health Gundam and I am concerned and interested. <laughs> so as I suppose as like most of the listeners know, me and Joe have embarked on a new series on the Patreon watching G Gundam. And I always wanted to make Gunpla. I, it seems fun. Like one of my friends does it and I got him one for his birthday and I was like, you know what? I can't do the Gundam show and not have at least one Gunpla. So I bought one um, and spent two and a half hours on Saturday building it. I don't have the most dexterous hands. So I was there like trying not to break it. And usually when I do stuff like that, I'd like listen to a podcast or put on music or whatever. But this time I just like had no music on. It was just like, you know, nice and quiet, nice and meditative assembling this little plastic man. I've never done anything like that, and I have a feeling whenever we do our first live show, someone's going to chuck a Gundam figurine at my head, and it will be warranted. Uh, please don't do that. It, it, um, <laughs> yeah, that could be very damaging, depending on what scale look, it is. The front of my head is ugly enough, and the back of my head has enough concussions. I don't need help in either one. Um, <laughs> Joe, don't talk about yourself like that. That has been the Lions Led by Donkeys self-care corner. Um, <laughs> Now let's talk about uh, some guys who invaded another country as a form of self-care. Get, get, get your blokes together. Invade the nearest country. Um, yeah, you know, you, uh, to be fair, you know, Prince Harry, who is the king of checking in on your blokes, he also helped invade another country. So, you know. That's true. Um, yeah. Now, you go check in on your blokes in Afghan. Last week... Uh, Tom, we talked about the time the Fenians invaded Canada from the United States. Um, yeah. What if I told you that the United States also invaded Canada? Well, more than once, but um, specifically during the American Revolution, because, you know, attempting to free yourself from the British Empire. See, that's that's amateur hour. Um, while fighting in your own backyard, what if you also invaded Quebec? Um, that's what we're going to talk oh, about today. God. Yeah. This is like honestly you know great energy off this already specifically invading the quebecois is great because like i am very anyone who listens to this show i am very interested in like separatist movements stuff like that and i have to say the quebecois are like the funniest separatist movement ever like oh we are being oppressed by english nouns <laughs> i will say this is the only time we're going to talk about the quebecois without talking about some kind of plastic explosive um <laughs> no. the quebecois had to fight back the uh the american revolutionary force because of le wokeism le racism um man nate must be uh very unhappy he's gonna miss this episode um, now, this this episode of the American Revolution tends to kind of get deleted because it is by far the most failed operation of the entire revolution, in my opinion. It also um, involves Benedict Arnold in a way where he isn't a traitor, um, where you know he was a very capable and very well accomplished military commander before he turned on the uh, on the on the revolution. So. We, we tend to not look at a miserable failure combined with a guy we have been taught since, like, you know, the term Benedict Arnold literally means traitor in the United States. Um, History is complicated. Say ne pas un uh, traitor. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, uh, before we get there, we do have to do a kind of a quick abridged version of how exactly Quebec, which everybody knows is full of the French, ended up as a British colony in the first place. It was first founded by the French in the 1500s and named New France. Real colonization attempts didn't really begin for quite some time, not counting for a few thousand fur traders who showed up around the St. Lawrence River area. Yeah, New France doesn't really have a ring to it, hence why it's not included in the They Might Be Giants song, Istanbul, now it's Constantinople. And that is also why New York is no longer New Amsterdam. Amsterdam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally, a music reference that you got. Oh no, I just got that reference because uh, every Dutch person likes to remind me of that. Uh, <laughs> by the... Yeah, it, w- it used to be called New Amsterdam. <laughs> We had to give it up because they wouldn't import boot polish. <laughs> By the 1700s, maybe around 20,000 people of French origin had popped into the area to smoke cigarettes, ride unicycles, all while carrying a single bag of groceries from which a, the, just the top of a baguette peeks out the top. French holdings and colonial administration continued to expand in Quebec until the Seven Years' War, or as commonly known as North America, by its theater name, the French and Indian War. And I should say theater as in theater of war, not like a theater production. Um, no, I would watch <laughs> that. Tell, I would watch no, that. <laughs> nobody tell Lin-Manuel Miranda about this. It's just singing and dancing around as someone rips his fucking scalp off. <laughs> and he's just doing that like weird pouty face that he does. Oh, God. though it should be pointed out um not only has this podcast just developed a musical significantly better than hamilton that uh but also compared to british holdings in canada uh were much much more like developed and larger the brits the -hmm. brits and the french have very we've talked about this before on the show the brits and the french have very different ideas in what colonization actually means um (laughs) you're telling me (laughs) that's right uh (laughs) <laughs> I gotta get Patrice Lumumba on the phone. <laughs> he cannot be reached for comment. Uh, we'll have <laughs> we will forward his emails to the UN. Uh, what's that? They're saying they're deeply concerned. Um, <laughs> Interesting looking into yeah. this. New France, as it was known, was size wise larger than the entire American thirteen colonies, but it had only one tenth of the population and acted more as a like a source of cheap labor and resources more than a a purposeful attempt at mass settlement. Um, a, a lot of this is very easily explained by like how the Americas were the the thir- thirteen colonies were colonized. You know, um, Puritans dumping uh, uh, prisoners there, dumping Irish people there, dumping everybody there. The French didn't really do the same thing in New France. They're like, yeah, sure, if you want to go there and trade pelts or whatever, knock yourself out, Pierre. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that like the settlement of French Canada is much more markedly known for like the settlement of, you know, trading outposts. And obviously as well, because like, m- like Canada and like the territories in Canada for like a good part of the year were a lot more inhospitable than just like, you know, continental US. Yeah, thankfully, that's changed. Um, Want to buy some beaver pelts? <laughs> some guy comes in with frostbite on his eyeballs, opens up a trench coat and just full of beaver pelts. Like, would you like some skins? And also, fucking kill me. Hockey hasn't even <laughs> been invented yet. This place is worthless. <laughs> Isolated and largely unable to be resupplied due to the dominance of the Royal Navy, the British began to chip away at New France. 
Eventually, in 1759, the colonial capital of Quebec fell to the British, and by the end of the war and the Treaty of Paris, signed in 1763, they ceded control of New France over to the British. Mr. President, Quebec has fallen. And nothing of value was lost. <laughs> That's going to be this, the next sequel to Olympus Has Fallen. I believe there already was a sequel. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like London has fallen, but like I want to see Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx in like you know, 19th century, you know, beaver pelts, absolutely smelling rancid. Wasn't Olympus's Fallen? That was the one with Gerard Butler, because there was two movies about yeah, the White House yeah, being attacked yeah, yeah. that came out, like, back-to-back, and one involved North Koreans, and I think that was the one with Gerard Butler, because that man cannot actually make quality movies anymore. Or or like, ever. Imagine, or imagine, ever. <laughs> imagine how much De- Jared Butler is in. Like, remember Gamer? Remember that movie Gamer? Oh, yes, I do remember it. What it's like? Uh, uh, what's that fucking book called? Um, with Ready Player yeah, One, it's Ready Player One with brain damage, and Ready Player One already sucks. I mean, that's a, that's uh, also unf- is isn't it Orson Scott Card who wrote that? Who is unfortunately really homophobic? No, Orson Scott Card, Orson Scott Card uh, wrote Ender's Game, uh, which is a uh, good book written by a terrible man. I mean, look, <laughs> I love Philip K. Dick, and I can say the exact same. Yeah. It's like, what if you get gave an extremely schizophrenic man access, access to McCarthyism? <laughs> so where we pick up after that during the American Revolution in 1775, this is all very recent history. Like, Quebec had just fallen. And uh, the, the American... You can't say Quebec has fallen now without laughing. I know. I know. <laughs> It wasn't even the script. You just, you wedged that into my brain. So the American Revolution is kind of stuck at a standstill. We talked before about the Battle of Lexington and Concord, so go check that out for more of a background on this era. After that, the revolution was kind of treading water. The British army in the 13 colonies was largely trapped in Boston, a fate worse than death, surrounded by colonial militias and what is known as the Siege of Boston. Then Benedict Arnold led an attack on Fort Ticonderoga in New York, knowing it was lightly defended and with a decent weapon supply that the colonials would need. Arnold believed that not only would the fort be incredibly important to colonial defenses, but believed rightly so that the colonial forces needed to keep doing things like this, striking lightly defended British outposts, before they could be reinforced from the rest of the empire. He was joined in this belief by a fellow revolutionary leader, Ethan Allen. Now, Allen and his entire backstory deserves a bit of a mention, and we did talk about this a little bit during our Fenian episode. He found what was known as the Green Mountain Boys, uh, which sounds like it could be a million different things, but it was actually a militia group in Vermont. Not found. It honestly, it honestly just sounds like a kind of direct-to-consumer, like new wave soap company that I get advertised on Instagram. A subscription like- soap company. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, you you want some, like, what, dude, you want to wash your balls with, like, black tar soap that's, like, modeled after, like, some handbook in the 1800s? Oh, God. The protocols of the elders of soap. <laughs> the protocols of the elders of ball washing. A militia, so he founded this militia group in Vermont, but it wasn't founded explicitly to fight the British, like pretty much most militias in the colonial forces, but rather to fight land speculators from New York and New Hampshire who were, you know, buying up land in Vermont. Now, most of these people were British, but not all of them. So it was more of just like, Mm. fuck the land speculators, which 
I think we could all respect. Yeah. And without going into too much, Alan and the rest of his Vermonters, which I, I'm going to assume that's what people from Vermont are called. Alan and the Green Boys. They weren't even huge fans of this whole United States project. Because a few years after the events of this episode in 1777, Vermont would straight up declare independence from everybody. They also outlawed slavery. And this isn't like one of those weird republics that existed for a few months during the Russian Revolution. The Vermont Republic existed for 14 years and and they had official relations with the United States before becoming a state in 1791. Let's see, this is from everything I've heard about Vermont. It seems like Vermont is the real version of what people think Oregon is like, because obviously... Oregon was founded as a white nationalist state, yeah. and like Vermont is like, nah, we're, we're we're doing our own thing. We're abolishing slavery. Whereas like you know, Oregon was like, what if we could have white people with dreads and racism? <laughs> I, those two things are intrinsically connected. <laughs> yep. Ska intensifies in the background. <laughs> racism horn. Now, anyway, Alan and Arnold looked around and thought, you know, is really undefended. Quebec. (laughs) The idea was not only would this be one hell of a stab at the British, but the French Canadians, or Quebecois, because Canada wasn't really a thing yet, would almost certainly join their American revolutionary brothers from across the border to shrug off the British yoke. And this wasn't a new idea. A year before, in 1774, the First Continental Congress invited a delegation from Quebec to join them to plot revolution. The French Canadians pretty much just ignored this. Like, this is too weird. Though this didn't slow down the belief within Americans that, like, the American founding fathers specifically, that they want in on this revolution. Despite the fact they just told us to go fuck ourselves, I got a chance. Like, this is the kind of guy that, like, tries to buy a girl a a drink at a bar or something, and she's like, oh, I I actually have a boyfriend. He's like, I have... Is he here? And <laughs> <laughs> just go, I have one too. Yeah, right. um, yeah, I like that the Quebecois have like gotten in on the ground floor of like diasporic ethno-nationalism, like uh, only to be rivaled by Armenians in LA like 200 <laughs> years later. Unfortunately, you are correct. Yeah, see, when are the Quebecois going to produce something as good as System of a Down? Uh, they still haven't. I guess poutine, perhaps. But that doesn't sing. And if your poutine sings, um, it's been spent too cl- too much time around like Three Mile Island or whatever. <laughs> Surge poutine. <laughs> God. It's just Surge Tonkin covered in gravy. I mean, like, listen, you know, an Armenian Quebecois person is like a very strange energy. I actually know what. Oh. Hi, if you're I listening. No more. Um, <laughs> So when Benedict Arnold began to lobby hard for an invasion toward Quebec, Congress agreed. However, they didn't want to give command of the invasion to Arnold, not because Arnold wasn't a good commander, but because one through line in in Benedict Arnold's history and one of the reasons why he turned against the United States was he never got respect for his achievements and was constantly passed up for promotion and positions. And that exact same thing happened to him here. Instead, Congress picked Richard Montgomery, who was actually Arnold's second in command to lead this operation rather than Arnold himself. Montgomery would also be drawn by a name, uh, guy named Philip Schuyler, or Schuyler, whatever. This, 
I don't care. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> <laughs> this royally pissed off Arnold, who refused to take take this like snub to his honor lying down. And instead, he simply got on a horse and went over to Boston to appeal to George Washington directly and demand that he be given a command, any command, during the invasion of Quebec. Washington was impressed with how angry Arnold was, taking that as like belief in this mission rather than like a, a snub to his personal honor and military expertise. So Washington gave him a command of a second supporting invasion of Quebec. The two were hypothetically supposed to support one another. Now Arnold is in charge of one. Washington was worried that the original invasion led by Montgomery might fail and considered Arnold's command something of a fail safe. Like, well, if we, if we fail 50% of the time, we still got this other group there. The Americans thought that the British only had about 100 men in Quebec, supported by about 1,000 or so French and non-French Canadian militia, as many British assets had been taken from Canada and sent to support Boston. So Washington figured they only needed enough men to confront, you know, one British force, which would be small, and that would open the door for a much larger invasion and most likely, again, according to the Americans, a Quebec revolution that would be their friend. Mm, I just, I, I want to talk about something a bit off topic, but I found out relatively recently that George Washington didn't have wooden teeth. Instead, they were made of ivory and slave teeth. He and sure I cannot did. think of any anything more disturbing than like walking around with someone else not not just someone else's teeth in your mouth but like someone else that you own as properties teeth we're not here to kink shame tom that's not even a kink <laughs> that's just wrong i'm getting out the spray bottle <laughs> arnold's force would consist of about 1100 mid and at least on a map take what should have been a very easy riverborne route through Maine, down several different rivers, and including one ominously named the Dead River before landing in Quebec. All this was to be done via flat-bottom boat known as a bateau. I'm going to assume that nobody and nobody's corpse ends up in the Dead River. Oh, there's a lot of corpses everywhere by the end of this. Uh, this is just like beavers going to work moving around limbs to dam the river it, it, like they're damming the river with bodies like smacking it down to the tail and doing like the Flintstones quip of like well it's a tough job but somebody's gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> we, we, got a, we got a corpse dam I don't think we've ever had one of those before add it to the list oh, um, new corpse infrastructure unlocked it's like in Starfield we're building our base I wonder if you could make elect like electro fucking hydroelectric power using like the body dam well unlike starfield this is actually fun <laughs> now <laughs> for people not aware the unforgiving wilderness of canada even today is pretty goddamn rough and it's the 1700s the vast majority of this is untouched and unpopulated wilderness cut only by raging rapids waterfalls and steep ridges there's not even roads and if that is news to you listening, guess who else it was news to? The American Invasion Force. <laughs> this is why, you know, cartography and doing reconnaissance are important. You know, maybe put a guy on it. You know, Ben McDonald, he's really good at riding around on his horse. Maybe send him over the border real quickly just to, you know, spend a couple of days, you know, asking. Aren't like the Iroquois in this area as well? 
Well, I mean, the U.S. and a lot of indigenous people are not very close at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I was I was going to say, you know, the Forever. fact that it's called, you know, the French Indian War. I don't think uh, the Native American, well, I suppose indigenous. Would you call them Native American if they're in Canada? But, in uh, Canada, they call the them Na- First Nations. Yeah. Okay, the First Nations people would be too happy to help you when you have allied with, you know, the French. The French and Indian War is definitely a convoluted mess that we will cover at some point um, when I require to melt my, my brain a little bit more. But they did have maps. What they didn't okay. have was good maps. I mean, the- <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a, what was it? The fucking Battle of Saipan where they had, just had like terrible tourist maps. That, that was the uh, the invasion of Grenada. Yeah, they they they, uh, they only yeah. had tourist maps. To be fair, they <laughs> so when they also only had a week to plan that. The the <laughs> the revolutionaries do not have that excuse. Um, th- now, I they, mean, they, when are the marines? When are the marines going to show up crashing helicopters into <laughs> Quebec? The, they're going to need a time machine just so they can make it rain Blackhawks. Um, now they had maps. They weren't good maps, and what they also didn't do was attempt to scout the river routes at all or even talk to semi-friendly french fur trappers who would have told them like do not go that way that's a fucking awful idea yeah so you need to pick up some side quests from people like in red dead first so you can explore the area and get some familiarity exactly uh they need to unlock the map by walking a bit further um, yes, exactly. They they at least knew this thing would have to be done before winter because they were smart enough. No, we do not want to get caught in Canada fighting a war in the middle of winter. And Washington ordered Arnold to get to work and scrape together an army because remember, America doesn't really have one of those yet. He compiled one out of volunteers from throughout the colonies. They had no uniform to speak of, instead simply wore whatever they had. This is mostly buckskins, furs, and moccasins, which again are not things you necessarily want to uh, get caught in cold weather with. Oh, they did stitch the words liberty or death across their hats, which is metal, and also very ironic for an invasion of another country. Um, Then, of course, came Montgomery's army. It was also slapped together in much the same way. And uh, you know, speaking of Arnold, he is known for being able to lead his men on a march very quickly, whereas Montgomery was known for being overcautious, uh, you know, taking too much time. And he did exactly that. He sat around until August. Um, his second Schuyler was attempting to meet local indigenous people, trying to win allies over to help with the invasion. And he was failing at this. Yeah, the cost of diplomacy is waiting until winter. Yeah. Now, um, Schuyler's gone, and they had previously agreed, and it was generally known that no invasion force could be launched without both of them being there to authorize it. And Montgomery had no orders to advance from Washington nor Congress. So he simply did anyway. Um, He didn't inform anybody about it. He simply took his 1,200 soldiers out of Fort Ticonderoga and fucked off without even telling his second command that he was doing so. <laughs> I want what a what rocking songs are they singing at this time? You know, all those like jaunty jingles that you sang running around Kandahar. I mean, this is the 1700s, so I assume most of them. Uh, I don't know what rhymes with cholera, or they just like contain slurs that are so archaic. It's like looking at a madness room. <laughs> 
Now, this group sailed down uh, towards Fort St. John, where they met up with a Canadian militia who joined the Americans. And now, there weren't really that many fractures within Quebec. Um, and these guys, this Canadian militia, there were Canadians, of course, but they were led by an American named James Livingston. And most of his volunteers are also American. This isn't like a, a Canadian Liberation Army or something. The Democratic People's Liberation Army of Canada or whatever. <laughs> D, the DPRC. <laughs> When they arrived at Fort St. John's and Schuyler met back up with them, Schuyler immediately came down with a case of smallpox and had to leave. Though that did not, this will not be the first time some, or the last time someone gets smallpox during this episode, I promise. Though that didn't slow down the mission. The Americans put the fort under siege and cut it off. Of course, this only happened because the British pissed off their indigenous allies by refusing to support them in battle, and then their indigenous allies abandoned them during the open skirmish. Yeah, what did you? What did they expect? Uh, I don't know, honestly. Like the 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 local native allies were skirmishing with American forces, like in the bush or whatever, and were expecting the Brits to come and support them, or at least give them artillery fire. And they did neither of those mm. things. So um, afterwards, the natives were like, "Man, y'all, you can go fuck yourself," and they disappeared into the woods and left the British on their own. <laughs> Now, this turned out to be a pretty bad place to conduct a siege because it was in the middle of a fucking swamp. And uh, when the Americans attempted to dig in, their trenches were immediately flooded with stagnant swamp water up to their waists. Um, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know exactly where this ends up. Is a trench full? It's so many things. Uh, if for people who maybe didn't grow up around ponds or swamps or anything, don't just go stand in them. It's not a good yeah. thing to do, especially when healthcare exists that exists involves like just making you bleed out the bad blood yeah it's not called standing water for you know like an inviting reason it's, it's not, not waiting know, in it's line for something yeah it's not a fun it's not a functional name it's not called standing water because you're meant to go stand in it it's like how would you like to have three toes on each foot have you ever thought about shitting out of your own mouth <laughs> 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 like that episode of south park now <laughs> Then, uh, because of Montgomery planned this entire invasion to be supplied via New York, which wasn't exactly easy with the zero logistical network the colonial forces had at the time, food and ammo immediately began to run out as disease, you know, because the swamp started sweeping through his ranks. Nearly a thousand men had to be sent back to the colonies after being crippled with one disease after another and hundreds died. The only thing that stopped the invasion from failing right there and then was constant reinforcements, and I assume men who did not ask that many questions. <laughs> the northern version of, like, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn floating down the river on a raft, and there's just, like, cholera-ridden <laughs> bodies floating past. The British inside the fort even had larger guns for around a month, forcing the Americans, busy shitting themselves with malaria and smallpox in a swamp trench, to just sit there under constant shell fire and unable to be you know, unable to actually return fire. Finally, larger guns showed up a month later, which allowed the Americans to actually shoot back, and then the fort fell in November. Eventually, ignoring orders, Montgomery would go on and attack Montreal and take it. Um, this was actually pretty painless. Uh, there, the British didn't have that many people in Canada at the time, and there wasn't, you know, and I maybe there was a, a decent garrison force. They saw these fucking swamp zombies shooting their brains out and coughing up blood, and they're like, maybe it's best we let them in. Yeah, here comes Yankee Doodle Swamp Thing. 
Just like covered in like goo. They're trying to play the flute, but there's just every time they blow, blood comes shooting out of every hole in the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Just imagine the smell. Oh, it's awful. It's awful even for the 1700s. Though he wouldn't stay in Montreal for long, a lot of Montgomery's army simply vanished overnight because this is something that happened a lot during the American Revolution. People were all volunteers and they signed very short term contracts, normally only for a couple months at a time. So by the time they actually took Montreal, like most of his forces had their contracts run out. And they had just been shitting their brains out, standing up to their waist in swamp water. So they weren't. Look, that's not good for retention. So people just yeah, like, you know, I you, am going home. Fuck this. Yeah, you need some sort of like incentivization scheme, some retention bonus, maybe some benefits. You know, yeah, you got you got to stand in swamp water, but we'd give you clean socks at the end. What if we gave you a slightly used pair of moccasins from a guy who died of smallpox? <laughs> they are totally smallpox free. Yeah. Don't worry, we pissed on them. We believe that's medicine. <laughs> if you if you sign on for another contract, you'll get an iPod Classic and a beaver pelt hat. <laughs> I'm taking, you know, the U.S. Army during the surge tactic. Would you like a tote bag that says Colonial Army on it? Now, this this left only you get a you get a six month subscription to Sweet Green. So all of these contracts running out left only five hundred men in his army. So he left two hundred in Montreal and took three hundred with him and sailed to Quebec in order to support Arnold's future attack. Which brings us to our main character of the episode, Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold's advance had turned into something out of Fitzcarraldo. Um, for people, <laughs> is that mean fucking Werner Herzog's hanging around? It's like, you see, the problem with invading Canada is that it is this quite Herculean task, you know, this Sisyphean. You see, you cross the border and you are met with beavers building dams out of corpses. You do not expect yourself to be a body in that dam. A somewhat peculiar piece of history holding back the tides of progress. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I I Herzog is like my favorite director. As soon as you said Fitzcarraldo, I was like, I have to leave it now, in. The reason why I say Fitzcarraldo is because his first boat trip went well. It covered 50 miles to a shipyard where they transferred from the regular boats into the flat bottom ones, uh, which would it's better for uh, going over the local rivers. They're shallower, so you need the flat bottom boat, whatever. However, this is where they discover the goddamn Taconic Falls, which were 200 feet high, and obviously, they can't just go up them with a boat. So Arnold had his men pull the boats out of the river and carry them on their backs up the cliff face on either side of the falls. Jesus Christ. Each boat weighed over 400 pounds, and remember, there's they also had supplies. They had to drag 65 tons of supplies up this cliff with them. And there was no relief after this. They're forced to sail through the nearby rapids of the Five Mile Falls, which flooded the boats and sank several of them, killed a lot of people. And now it's late September. Not exactly a great time to get soaked in Canadian river water. So exhausted, freezing cold and wet, they hit the next goddamn waterfall and under a constant cold downpour of rain and once again have to drag the fucking boats 
up the cliff of the waterfall. And this just keeps happening. Each time they finish hauling the boats up another waterfall, a day or three or so would pass, and they'd have to do it again. Up another waterfall. Once again, I was correct in my Herzog impression. This is a Sisyphean task. Look, if if you're in this operation and you're a lucky person, you're dead already. Um, we we must imagine Benedict Arnold happy. Each time the boats would become more and more damaged because they're wooden boats built in the 1700s. They're not made to be drug up the side of fucking cliffs by tired and cold and diseased soldiers bouncing them off of rocks all day. Yeah, And not to mention carrying all these supplies up these cliffs. It's not like waterproofing exists. So they get wet. They'd get dropped into the river. Whole boxes of food and ammo and gunpowder. Arnold was soon surrounded by starving and cold men and discovered that it had taken him two times as much time to cover a quarter of the journey that he had allotted for the entire thing. Also, everybody had dysentery. Oh. <sighs> Like, I've never had dysentery. It's, it's I've not had diarrhea. I've had diarrhea, and that was bad enough. Look, for you to officially be a full-fledged member of the Lions that by Donkey's cast, you gotta get dysentery. I mean, like, there's definitely, there's definitely times in my early 20s where I was probably very close <laughs> to it. And so, rapidly losing supplies, Arnold had to cut everybody's rations in half. Men were reduced to making what I think might be the worst soup I've ever read of in the history of the show, which I should point out is impressive at this point. I yeah, I am I am not looking forward to this. So they boiled rawhide and candles in a pot together and ate it. <laughs> it's just like, Homer Simpson from the fucking hot chili episode of uh, of The Simpsons when he was swallowing candle wax, but they made a soup of it. Did they see Johnny Cash as a fox? I don't think so, unfortunately. Like, I mean, they would have eaten the, the fox because, oh yeah, they did eat the unit's mascot, which was a dog. Um, so they probably would have eaten the turtle and the fox from that Simpsons episode. That's sad. But like, I'm just thinking about the logistics of this. So you're boiling rawhide. So you're not only getting like blood and collagen out of the connective tissue of the hide. But the thing with candle wax is as soon as it cools, it hardens. Gotta eat fast. So, <laughs> so like, are, is this camp just like an impromptu, like, Bath and Body Works are just shitting out, you like, candles? They're shitting, and it's taking the perfect form of their assholes that coils on the ground. Good news, I mean, boys, kinda, light it. I mean, it's ingenious. It's an unlimited supply of, you know, lo- of, like, illumination at night. We have solved world hunger. You could just shit and eat candles back and forth forever. <laughs> this show does not support corpophilia. We are kink-shaming. And th- there came the first wave of smallpox as well. This will not be the only wave of smallpox. This is only the first wave of smallpox? Yep. Oh, and they're not what? to the war zone yet. They're just in the woods. Man, being alive before, like, I don't know, 1950 seems pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely would have died when I was like 10. Um, I would just been left into the wilderness by my father or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, 10, I don't, you're, you're... I don't want a third one. <laughs> ten, you're you're being pretty <laughs> ambitious there, boy. Well, he gave me ten years to see if I'd like become anything, um, and then he yeah, we know how that ended. Yeah, yeah, still waiting. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can't be 35 and leave me in the wilderness. At that point, you have to chain me to something. Um, Now, since they're literally in the middle of nowhere, hundreds of miles from anything considered civilization, men considered too sick to go on were just left on the side of the road to shit themselves to death in the forest. You're just like a fur trapper going along on your horse and you just hear (laughs) coming from the ditch and it's just a dude who's like moving a couple of inches at a time as he's like explosively combusting out his butt cheeks. (laughs) Nothing but watery shits and candles. Some people say the Chinese invented rocketry, but in reality, it was someone with dysentery so explosive they ended up 30,000 feet in the stratosphere. A French fur trapper thinks he's on the trail of something. He's like, no, it is shit again. (laughs) I smell the smell of an ass. In effort to stop the mass dying, Arnold sent several hundred men back so he wouldn't have to try to feed them. Everything had become covered in snow since September, and Arnold's force is only now getting to the Chaudhary River, which is where Quebec is situated here. When you think about it, like, the history of military warfare, like, the biggest kind of um, cause of death is not, like, actually fighting. It's, it's just disease. a sore tummy. It's, all, yeah. it's a sore tummy. Yeah. Uh, m- military history is best summed up by my tummy hurts. <laughs> No, in reality, the biggest, like, killer is water. Either you don't have enough of it, and you're in the desert like some stupid Romans out of Carhe, or you are, like, in There's too much water. There's never a good balance of how much water there should be. Oi, lads, we found some water. There's a corpse floating in it. Drink around it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wait, uh, there is a fly in my soup. The fly is like a crouton. You eat it, it adds extra texture. That's right. To your to your uh, candle and rawhide soup. <laughs> mm, send my compliments to the chef. However, in order to get there, in order to get to Quebec, they have to go through what is known as the height of land, which is covered in swamps, ponds, and more cliff faces. The tired, starving, and freezing half-dead soldiers would have to drag what remained of their boats through all of this. By this point, Arnold's army looked more like ghosts than men and were dropping dead as soon as someone finished counting off how many of them were left, though there's only about 700 of them. Then three boats worth of supplies sank as soon as they loaded it up. You'd see that and you'd be like, all right, Jimmy's dead. Time to eat his boots. (laughs) Boil them bitches up. If if I would have been standing there, assuming I survived all of this, which I almost certainly wouldn't, um, and I watched those three boats worth of supplies simply sink. I'm like, well, boys, it's been good. I'm going to put this musket in my mouth. Fuck all of this. Yeah, this see, this is the gambit I play because I like buying vintage clothes. And it's like you look at something and it's in good condition. And you just have to think to yourself for a second, depending on how old it is. Like, what's the likelihood someone died in this? 90%. Espe- like, especially because there's a huge market for it now for like old vietnam like you know military surplus and i'm like i want i hope this is surplus because somebody's uncle definitely died in the jungle in this i got this sweet hugo Hugo boss suit from like 1943 and there's a whole bunch of bullets uh holes in it but it's it's pretty nice yeah you know like you you can (laughs) i'm kidding that is a joke i don't own a nazi suit (laughs) you can get the couple's matching hugo boss suit and coco chanel dress 
You know, that is one brand that shouldn't have survived like, what their founder did. I'm just going to say Chanel should be fired into the sun. Um, and, you know, the slave labor. Um, now, they made their way to their first French-Canadian settlement. After all of this, they finally made it to the first one, um, which did greet them with food and water. But they kind of believed that they're like, ah, they do support us. But it was out of pity. Like there, these these people all looked dead on their feet. So like, we should probably feed them. And I mean, like you know, I I know a lot of people overstate like how miserable, and I I I do it too. It's for comedic effect, but like people overstate how miserable being alive was at any point in history. But like these guys were really miserable. Yeah, imagine how bad someone has to look for someone who's very clearly an invasion force. To look so miserable that the the local town was like, we should probably give them some bread or something. Um, we yeah. we really don't want them to die in our backyard. That'd really bring down the the property value. Yeah, like then we have to get rid of the bodies. You have to boil the boots so you can eat them. <laughs> you know, like you're you're like trepanning their skulls so you can like drain out any blood, make like blood put like black pudding or something. You know, <laughs> it really like. You know, an invading force starving and dying, in terms of, like, a logistic victory, it's good. But from just, like, a day-to-day life admin thing, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Also, remember, this force sees themselves as liberators, so they, like, shamble into town looking like, you know, thralls from Warhammer 40k. Like, we're here to liberate you. (gasps) Like, just covered in blood and smallpox. Like, please don't liberate us. Please go away. Yeah. This is why you need... The body beavers, you know, you kill them, like, let them die, chuck them in a river. Hopefully that's, like, downstream from where you live. Don't don't ever piss upstream from where you're camping. That is a bad idea. But uh, do you need help with your large quantity of bodies? Call the body beavers and they'll come on down and handle it. Uh, that's that's my that's my next Shark Tank pitch. Yeah, and then there's like, you know, the beaver who's like the union rep who has to come and negotiate rates for the beavers and stuff, you know, like, yeah, we'll get rid of the bodies, but you got to give us like this many twigs and like. (laughs) The hardest part about my Shark Tank pitch is having to get about 60 bodies onto the stage. Um, oh, it's not it's not unionizing the beavers at all. That'll be easy. Mark Cuban is uh, many people don't know this about Mark Cuban. He doesn't like it when you stack up large amounts of dead bodies on his show. Um, oh, I thought you were about to say he hates beavers or something. Yeah, probably. He seems like a hateful guy. He's a beaver racist. <laughs> Beaverous. Um, now, Arnold kept sending messages back to George Washington and telling him, everything is going great. Nothing to worry about. I have rations for another month and will soon be at the walls of Quebec. In reality, he only, about had, he only had around 650 people left. Virtually all of them were deathly ill with something and he was completely out of food. The, the ragged remains of Arnold's army, still wearing the clothes that they had been wearing when they had set off, since reduced to tatters, emerged at the St. Lawrence River after 45 days. It was supposed to take 20. Oh, miserable. Now everyone, Arnold included, knew that this army couldn't effectively attack anything, let alone a fortified city such as Quebec. However, this wasn't going to stop him from trying. Small problem, though. Most of the American boats were completely fucked by this point, and the British commander, Sir Guy Carleton, had ordered all of the boats on the south side of the Lawrence River to be burned so Arnold couldn't use them. 
So with his men pretty much dead on his feet, Arnold now had to order them to start cutting down trees and building boats again, and also digging out canoes. None of these things are easy to do, even in the best of times. <laughs> Arnold planned to use these to cross the Mile Wide River, land at Wolf's Cove, and march to what are known as the Plains of Abraham, where he hoped that the British would join him in open battle, because famously, this is how the British took Quebec, is that the the French defenders met them in open battle rather than pull them into a siege. This is known as something very stupid, and it wouldn't happen. It's the hold me back, bro tactic. <laughs> At 9 p.m. on November 13th, around 550 of Ar- <laughs> Benedict Arnold is just like shirtless, drunk, screaming at Quebec while two soldiers on the back say, Come out, fight me, bitch. Come on, fuck you. You, oh, come on, say that to my face. Say that to my face. Uh, General Arnold, the only thing holding you back is your own body lace at this point. Um, <laughs> He's so malnourished, his boots are just holding him to the ground. At 9 p.m. on November 13th, around 550 of Arnold's men, only some of whom even had muskets anymore, no cannons, and only five rounds of ammunition apiece, crossed the river. You must be really hungry if you're nibbling at your musket. <laughs> They gave it to the beavers for food. Yeah, that's that's how they got the beavers to like clear off the dead bodies. They like broke off the stalks of their muskets. It's like a painting of uh, of like you know the native people meeting the pilgrims for the first time. But it's a, a it's a starved and dying soldier arming a beaver with a rifle. Like, please, <laughs> please, this is all I have. <laughs> They're creating the United Red Army of beavers. The beavers are reading Lennon. As the army marched across the plains, Arnold ordered his band to strike up a cheerful song, confuse the people inside the city of Quebec, poke their heads out to see what the fuck was going on out there, only to see a couple zombie men, mostly frozen, wearing rags on their backs, and, you know, pants loads of shit, and their skin melting from smallpox. <laughs> and they're just singing, certified freak. Seven days a week. Everybody just wet ass pussies. <laughs> Make the Quebecois weak. A whole bunch of dudes singing WAP as their skin sloughs off from smallpox and lice. <laughs> While they're playing like a military like 16th note peel. Arnold was hoping this band's sick beats would cause the people of Quebec to rise up against the British, but you know, it's not a fantasy story, so that didn't work. Seeing that this didn't work, he ordered his men to retreat nearby and wait for Montgomery to show up, and he finally did on December 2nd. Luckily, he also brought clothes, ammo, guns, and food, all of which were badly needed. He just looks up and like, damn, dude, you look like shit. What happened? What does that smell? It's, it's, it's everything. It's all of us. I mean, that's, that was probably a good game to play at that time. Like, what's that smell? Just like any, any point, it's like, mm, what's that smell? It's a, uh, I spy with my little eye, but everything you point out is red and full of pus. I mean, the only thing you couldn't uh, spot with your little eye was people's toes because they'd all fallen off. <laughs> or also given to the beavers. Uh, Montgomery also took overall command, which I assume at this point, Arnold was pretty happy to give up. Their combined forces had about 1,200 men, half of whom were the starved remnants of Arnold's force and 200 of which were Livingston's Canadian volunteers. They laid a half-assed siege to Quebec, hoping that Quebec would eventually run out of food, but they didn't actually close off the city. Carleton had also been intercepting messages between the two commanders for days now, and knew that not only exactly where they were, but how many men they had. 
Carlton knew that they had about the same amount of men as the Americans, but they were rested, warm, fed, behind walls, and not riddled with shitting-ass smallpox disease. Carlton correctly decided that meeting them in an open field would be dumb as shit, and they stayed behind the walls of the city. And then the winner... He's just like, he's sending them like call-out videos like, pull up, bitch! It's nice and warm in here, you fucking idiots! Ain't no fucking slack in my Mac. As the winter got worse and worse, it became clear to Montgomery that Quebec was not going to run out of food before he did. So he sent a messenger into the city to demand their surrender. As an extra, like, salt in the wound of which many of them had at this point, Carlton refused to even meet with them or read the letter because, because <laughs> they were rebels and he didn't talk to rebels. <laughs> they didn't even get left on read. They got left on deliver. It, he literally crumpled up the letter unwritten and chucked it into a fireplace. He, he just threw it back and said, like, eat this, you losers. Yeah, you guys should probably eat this paper. It looks like you need it. The Americans sat back and tried to shell the city, but the cannons that Montgomery had brought with him were too small to do any damage, so he kept trying to negotiate, but each time Carlton promptly told him to go fuck himself. I'm just laughing about the idea of a cannonball just, like, being propelled with such little force that it just, like, bounces off the wall. Yeah, it's, it's gunpowder-propelled doink. Like... This is what they get when they buy their cannons off Wiley Coyote. Wish.com ass artillery. Uh, meep, meep. Montgomery and Arnold were sure that an all-out assault on the city probably wouldn't work, but they were running out of options. Like before, their soldiers' contracts were running out, as was their food. So they decided to go for the assault anyway, postponing their attack into the next blinding snowstorm, which they would then use as cover. Which seems very clever until you realize that they would also be blinded by said snowstorm, and they also wouldn't be able to see anything. And at the last second, since nobody had been planning any of this, soldiers had to slap together scaling ladders to get over the city's walls, while others armed themselves with hand-to-hand weapons like hatchets. They already had on hand for carting wood, but they also carved out spears out of nearby tree branches. Does the, is this when the beavers show up like the eagles in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Guys, you're carving those all wrong. This is how we fight the British. <laughs> so at 2 a.m., as a blizzard swirled around Quebec, the attack was ordered with Montgomery's forces heading to the western part of the city and Arnold to the north. Any kind of surprise was immediately ruined, however, because again, Americans couldn't see. It's a blinding snowstorm. So they carried lanterns with them through the early morning to light their way, which of course could immediately be seen by the British defenders because nobody apparently understood how light worked yet. See, this is the tactical importance of them eating the wax soup. They just open their mouth and light comes out. <laughs> Don't worry, comrades, I've lit my tongue. I have become candle, lighter of the night. Montgomery, we've invented the worst fucking superhero on earth. But, but at the same time, he's melting down like a candle. Montgomery advanced without any kind of resistance into the outskirts of the city, finding the first barriers completely abandoned, probably because of the snowstorm. And he marched directly into a narrow pass that was overlooked by a large house. It was only then that he noticed the house had gun holes knocked out of the walls, making it you know, kind of a blockhouse type situation. But he didn't see anything else because of the snowstorm. He ordered his men to charge through the blinding snowstorm toward the house, only realizing that once he had only gotten about 50 feet away, the Brits had put an entire goddamn cannon in the house, pointed directly at him, and had loaded said cannon with grape shot. Oh, Jesus. It tore through the ranks at point-blank rage, killing Montgomery instantly and turning most of his men into a kind of human gravy that they would then use for poutine. 
<laughs> Any survivors turn and retreated back through the snowstorm, leaving all the dead and dying behind. Meanwhile, Arnold led his men through the gates without resistance and into the surrounding city itself. Once again, this was another trap, and they were luring them in. As soon as Arnold's men made it inside, they were flanked on walls by either side of them, all of which were lined with British soldiers and Canadian militiamen, who promptly began raining musket balls down onto them. Arnold, seeing that they were well and truly fucked, figured the only way through this was to assault through the ambush, which is true. That is what you're supposed to do. Just charge through. However, this led to them sprinting nearly a half mile under gunfire. And then he didn't break through the ambush. He ran directly into a barricade, which is lined with cannons and more soldiers who began to, again, blast him into pieces. Arnold was shot in the leg, which shattered his entire bone in the process. Somehow he got back to his feet to attempt to lead his men forward before his leg just crumpled into dust and he collapsed into a pile of agony and bone shards and was eventually carried from the battlefield against his will. He got Andreas bothered. (laughs) In his place, his second in command, uh, a subordinate named Morgan, attempted to carry on the charge. Morgan and the Americans stormed the barricade, but it didn't matter. They were surrounded on three sides and were so badly pinned down they couldn't even retreat. 60 of them died. Another 425 suddenly said, fuck the revolution and surrendered. Yeah, like, you know, they made the tactical error. They should have trained the beavers like the Mahajadeen. Uh, they're, they're definitely missing, like, the, the local levies and the situation of been like, comrade beavers, would you also like to throw off the British yoke? I mean, the the idea of the beaver Mujahideen implies the existence of beaver Osama bin Laden. Hmm. Look, I don't know enough beavers to know this isn't true. <laughs> yeah, they train the beavers and then the beavers eventually turn against them in like 30 years. That's how it always works. Is It was the French Canadian CIA that did all of this. And then we have Vermont 9-11. <laughs> they blow up the Ben and Jerry's factory. <laughs> Somehow, oh no, another log has hit the factory. (laughs) Somehow, all of this wasn't enough to convince Arnold to give it up. Recovering from his broken leg and gunshot wound, he insisted that the siege on Quebec continue. This is despite the fact that, you know, the American commander left back in Montreal telling him, I can't send you anything else. Montgomery is fucking dead. The men are refusing to sign new contracts, including an entire regiment from New York who promptly bailed on him. And other people who are still on their contract said, I'm not waiting for the end of my contract, chucked their muskets into the snow and decided to walk home. Arnold still held on hope that Carlton would come out of the city and try to finish him off, thinking that now surely Carlton will think he could beat him in open battle, which he certainly could have. But Carlton wasn't going to do any of that. He sat in Quebec, letting rampant disease and winter storms tear what was left of the invasion force apart. Yeah, he he was he was cozy. He was sitting by the fire. He was dressed like the sleepy time tea bear. You know, he was just chilling. <laughs> then Carlton deployed an ace up his sleeve, something a sentence which has never once left my mouth in the history of the show. Prostitute-born biological warfare. What? Okay, hear me out here. Smallpox had a vaccine in those days, which would make the person who got the vaccine immune to smallpox. However they could still spread it. Okay, so it was, I think the term is like 
a non-mutagenic carrier. Something like that. So it's yeah. like, okay. So he yeah. gathered all of Quebec's sex workers, inoculated them against smallpox, and then unleashed them upon the American force, telling them to make them like their Johns or whatever, unknowingly spreading the disease. They had no idea what they were doing. You know, in a way, like, good that he inoculated the sex workers. I'm not sure how I feel about weaponized sex workers, but, like... Weaponized fucking prostitute biological warfare. Outstanding. Um, so... Pussy so good it kills you. <laughs> the Quebec Wild Pussy got me acting unwise. <laughs> <laughs> so soon, just an... <laughs> Uh, an uncontrolled wave of small smallpox and STDs spread through the American ranks to the few men who didn't already have one or both of those things. Like I, you know, I feel like a, a very mild breeze might have just like wiped all these guys out. They're alive in spite of everything. <laughs> like if you, you know, if you're suffering that much, and like. A woman comes and says, I want to sleep with you. I think you would probably take that. I don't even know how sex is even possible at this point. Like, these guys are all spending their free time vomiting and shitting out the insides of their body. And soon, like, yeah, I guess they have some, like, fucking shillings in their pocket or whatever if they haven't already boiled and eaten them. (laughs) Like, like... Mmm, we're eating shillings tonight, boys. Yeah, I just lost several fingers to frostbite, but I could go for some sex. Like, nah, man. Like, I'm just gonna curl up by this tree and fucking die. Um, yeah, I feel bad. I feel bad for the sex workers here because, like, they were the ones who had to set have sex with these like disgusting dying men. They could have just went up and coughed on them. They could have just hit him with a rock at this point. Like, <laughs> just do the game. Just do the game. The like alleged Genghis Khan thing of like load up bodies with smallpox and just fire them at them. They could have just walked up to the American soldiers at this point and like smushed their head in because they're like they're all half yeah. dead anyway. Just beat them with a whole bunch of roofing hammers or something. I don't <laughs> <laughs> deploy the roofing hammers. <laughs> hey, when. Look, you know, when you've got a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, or in this case, a very soft, squishy skull. <laughs> Still, Arnold refused to budge, holding on to his dream for months before finally starting a slow retreat in October of 1776, a full year after the start of the venture. In the end, hundreds of Americans were dead in the freezing cold. Thousands more got smallpox, dysentery, and an entire rainbow's worth of VD. And in those days, smallpox was fatal in about 60% of cases. So this would have killed around 3,000 of the 10,000 strong force total that was eventually sent into Canada over the course of the entire length of the operation. The invasion barely lost anybody in combat, but instead got its ass royally handed to them by Canada, the environment, and sex workers, which admittedly is just fucking incredible. And not to, when I say Canada, I don't mean a, as a state or a colony. I just mean the landmass of Canada. <laughs> Canada is just cold Australia. I'll, I'll take that. This is finally when Carlton screwed up, pretty much just sitting back and allowing the Americans to get away when he could have very easily come out of Fortress Quebec and crushed them entirely and retaken Fort Ticonderoga. 
This resulted in being passed up for promotion and eventually resigning as the governor of Quebec. Though after all of this, Americans didn't give up their French-Canadian dreams. On multiple occasions, people brought up the topic of another invasion, though this time around Washington was very much against it. And during the Paris peace talks, which eventually ended the war and created the United States, Americans demanded all of Quebec to be part of the newly independent nation. As funny as that outcome could have been, this is actually how the U.S. ended up with the Northwest Territory, or the greater Midwest area today. Even with this, Americans didn't drop the issue, and anybody who ever listened to our very first series ever in the War of 1812, we invaded Canada again, and it failed again. You know, if you are listening at home, and you want to take away like one thing from this show, not just this episode, but this show in general, do your diplomacy and planning in the winter, and never try to invade anywhere after August. Yeah, just don't invade during winter. Unless it's a tropical island, that's fine, I suppose. Yeah, unless you're fighting loads of emus. Well, that didn't work out either. Yeah, no. <laughs> that is the American Revolutionary Invasion of Quebec. And, Tom, we do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion. If you'd like to ask a question from the Legion, write into the show uh, on, uh, on Patreon, on Discord. Uh, attach it to a malnourished man from Vermont and march him into Quebec in the middle of winter, and Tom and I will answer it on the show. And today's question comes from the Discord. What location, bar, gym, anything, uh, I'm assuming this is unimportant things, not like government institutions, would you want removed from the world entirely for the greater good? Ooh. Um... Uh, any CrossFit gym or any Pure Gym here in the UK? I don't know what Pure, I don't gym, know what is pure like, gym is. Pure Gym's kind of like Planet Fitness, but worse. How could it be worse than Planet Fitness? Planet Fitness at least gives you pizza. It's like all like for me, all the equipment is terrible. They treat all of their staff terribly. All their personal trainers are like they are like massively underpaid. Like other than that, I can't really think of anything. That I would like, like wipe from existence. I am filled with the beautiful, be- I'm filled with the joy of the beautiful tapestry of man. So you know, I I don't hate many You're things. Just tapping into your deeper Herzog here. <laughs> I've kind of already named the thing that I would like. I I just fucking hate nightclubs, man. I I've made my case. I feel like I I feel like I've made my case. Like. I just don't enjoy them. Like these are innocuous things that we hate that we want eliminated. I want to eliminate those. Um. Yeah, like for me, I, like in general, I kind of, as I have gotten older, I've tried to institute in my life the thing of, well, it may not be for me, but I'm sure some people like it. Oh, that's, like, how I I feel, like that's how I feel about everything, like bars, gyms, whatever, like do your thing, whatever makes you happy, just don't include me in it. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for joining me here for the second week in a row on the Hate or Invade Canada-a-thon. Uh, there will not be a third week. Um, maybe we'll revisit that when we revisit the War of 1812. Hopefully no uh, world events happen in the intervening Unfortunately, time. Unfortunately, history just keeps happening. Uh, Tom, yes. where can people find your other show? Uh, Beneath the Skins, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattoos. Uh, we actually have an episode with Joe that should be out by the time this is out on our take on the mutiny on the bounty and the history of the Pitcairn Islands. So 
uh, check us out for that. Um, other than that, we do cool history stuff. We talk about how tattooing has been connected to the world. Um, soon we will have someone on to talk about some as yet unreleased research that is going to change how we see Otzi's tattoos. Otzi the Iceman, RIP King, gone too soon. Um, hope you enjoyed that bed of ice. Um, yeah, friend of the show, Aaron Dieter Wolf, has some really new and interesting research on Otzi that we're going to be talking about soon. So, yeah, check it well, out. Well, known fact, he was edible. Now, uh, this is the only show that I do, uh, but if you like it, consider supporting us on Patreon. Make everything we do here possible. We're running a uh, massively expanded charity program for uh, for refugees in Armenia at the moment. Um, you get bonus content. You get Discord access. You get every episode we do early, um, books, audiobooks, um, and leave us a review on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, and perhaps if you enjoy books, buy one of my books. There's a lot of them, and I have more coming out soon. Until Also, if you enjoyed the Stalingrad series, there should be Stalingrad t-shirts for the Stalingrad Street Fighting Club uh, available on the store. That's right. Uh, get that and have a very strange shirt that nobody will ask you about unless they do, in which case, you know, they probably listen to the show. Um, and until next time, invade Kanda in the winter. Fuck it. You're built different. Give it a shot.